So uh, as of today, I've been working towards the Super Slam for about six years, and I've been blessed to harvest 22 of the 29 North American animals um, with my bow. Chad Weeby called this bull right into 15 yards of us. Big old six by six bull just screaming right in our faces. The best like elk hunting experience you could ask for. And it was with a Thule elk. You have to be able to take punches that you didn't deserve necessarily. But I just have to remind myself the lessons that I've learned and how that's making me a better hunter. And not only a better hunter, but a better person. It's almost like I think of like two UFC fighters like studying film of each other before a fight, man. You take time to watch that film, you take time to learn their weaknesses. Man, it's the same way with animals. I want that same kid that's out there and has a similar story to mine to be sitting watching a hunting show sometimes, see me on there, and be inspired um, by what I'm doing. Hey guys, this is Lincoln Tap with Young Wild TV, and you're listening to Living Country in the City. Y'all ready for your dose of flyover state spirit? Straight from the concrete jungle? Well, put down your latte and pull on your boots. It's time for Living Country in the City. Hey y'all, welcome to episode 78 of Living. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Country in the city. You know, I want to say a big thank you to all y'all that are tuning in episode after episode, week after week. You know, y'all really make all of the hard work and effort that goes into building this podcast absolutely worth it. So a big thank you. Now, moving on to today's episode, I was introduced to today's guest by Brad Luttrell of Go Wild and the Restless Native podcast. And I have to say that it's hard to pinpoint a single one, but this could very easily be one of my favorite podcasts that I've ever recorded. I got a chance to talk with Lincoln Tap. Uh, This kid, guys, you'll just have to listen to the podcast. He is awesome, well-spoken, really, really wise person for his age, let alone for anyone's age. So hope you all enjoy uh, episode 78 with Lincoln. Awesome. Well, Lincoln, thank you so much for hopping on the call with me today. Oh, man, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Sam. 
So is this uh, this is your second podcast? Have you done any before? This is only my second podcast. I did one um, with Brad Luttrell. I did that podcast, and that's that was my first one ever, and I really enjoyed it. And uh, as you know, Brad um, hooked me up with you, and I'm super excited to be here and excited for the opportunity. Super excited to have you on. Um, and you have, I mean, it's really exciting. Like uh, Brad told me a little bit about you, and you know, I'll let you kind of introduce yourself, but you're kind of living the life I wish I had grown up living. <laughs> um, but uh, let's uh, let's start off. Why don't you just kind of introduce yourself uh, to our listeners? Um, just let them know how you kind of got your start in hunting in the outdoors. Okay, cool. Yeah, um, I grew up. I grew up on a farm in central Oklahoma, uh, watching my dad bow hunt ever since I, I ever since I can remember. My my earliest memories are going out. Um, into the deer stand with my dad, I would take these little, uh, I would take these little plastic like animal figurines and I would play on the floor of the blind, um, while my dad was deer hunting. Um, and I, I didn't get to see my dad, uh, I didn't get to see my dad harvest much. And I imagine I was, I was part of the problem there. Um, but I I, out on the podcast, man, I know, look (laughs) at me. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so I, my, some of my earliest memories are spending time with my dad, um, out in the woods. And so I, it was just something that was, um, kind of born and bred into me that just, just, just that hunting lifestyle and being a hunter. Um, and my dad bow hunted and that's, that's all he did. He, when he first got into bow into hunting, he was a rifle hunter, um, and, and did shotgun for dove and stuff like that. Um, but then he got into bow hunting and that's what he did as I was growing up. And so when I was like three years old is when I started picking up a bow of my own, this like little like fiberglass bow that my dad had gotten me. And I picked that thing up and haven't stopped since then. I just, I love shooting my bow. I love archery. I love hunting. And when I was about uh, 10 years old, I harvested my first deer uh, with a bow and arrow. And it was just ever since then I've been hooked. And I, <laughs> and I, I was blessed at the age of 11 to have brought the idea to my dad of the super slam, which I had heard on Tom Miranda's world-class bow hunting. A lot of you have probably seen the show. And, uh, I, I, I heard about the super slam on that show and I just wanted to research it and I wanted to get to know more about it. And so I researched it and then I brought the idea to my dad at that time, not even knowing if it was a real possibility. <laughs> and, um, I, I never really, I never really thrived in sports or anything like that. Um, growing up, so my dad, when I was that interested in something and when my dad saw that passion in me for something, I think he just wanted to stoke that. So he said, just kind of off the cuff, he said, yeah, well, let's do it. Like, let's, let's try Let's try for something like that. <laughs> and at that time, I, I don't know if he knew the magnitude of it. I don't know if he knew that we were actually going to do it, but, um, he said, let's start with white deer. And that was, uh, I, I actually, that was before I had harvested my first white tail with a bow. So we went out and harvested a white tail with a bow and uh, then it just kind of got snowballing from there, and now I'm uh, chasing my super slam with archer equipment. Well, this is definitely a step above, you know, building birdhouses or something with your dad. I think it's a <laughs> yeah, a little bit, yeah, a little bit more of a father son uh, involved father son project, I'd say. Yes, sir. Uh, and just to uh, clarify for the listeners, how old are you as of the time we're recording the podcast? I'm 17 at the moment, and. We'll, we'll, I guess we'll get into the super slam and what exactly it consists of, but, uh, how, how far are you through that super slam? So, uh, as of today, I've been working towards the super slam 
for about six years, and I've been blessed to harvest 22 of the 29 North American animals um, with my bow. Man, that is incredible. 17, six years of hunting, and 22 out of the 29 animals. And you're so my listeners know this. You probably don't know this. You're talking to a guy that is still yet to harvest his first animal period short of really short of pegging a couple of squirrels with a bb gun when when i was a kid that's about the extent of uh of anything so this is like this is mind-blowing for me okay gotcha um so yeah as you said the super slam consists of 29 animals um and it's and it's not just uh say elk it's the different subspecies of elk um that's right yeah and the various animals right yeah so the yeah so the super slam there's 10 categories that make up the super slam um and those are things like elk uh bear deer caribou um stuff like that but then they're broken up into uh more specific species uh as you know moose have a huge range across north america and so there's Shires moose, there's Canadian moose, Alaskan Yukon moose. And so that's where out of those 10 categories, it gets blown up into 29 animals. And so, yeah, it's uh, the super slam. It's it's not like any other hunting goal in that the super slam, you, there's no way, there's no way to cheat it there. I mean, you have <laughs> to go, you have to go everywhere. You have to see everything as far as North America goes to achieve a super slam. And so it, it's just the full package of North American hunting. It's, it's the ultimate goal. (laughs) So while pursuing this super slam, how many, how many different States have you hunted in? Or I guess if it's North American, I guess States, uh, provinces. I've hunted in, uh, I've hunted, I, I would guess I've hunted in right around 15 States. And then I've hunted in four, five, maybe six provinces of Canada. And then I've hunted in Mexico as well. Uh, but a lot of these, a lot of these species are like your Northwestern American species. And so you get a lot of animals from British Columbia, Alaska, the Yukon territories, um, and then your Northwestern states is, is where it's mostly focused on. Um, but then obviously you have some stuff out East as well as like um, woodland caribou, Quebec laboratory caribou, caribou, where you'll go out East as well. So I think probably the easiest way to start would be to say, what are the, out of the 29, uh, what are the remaining seven animals that uh, you've yet to harvest? So I have, I have left this year. I'm going after Sitka black-tailed deer and barren ground caribou on Kodiak Island. And then I was going to do grizzly bear as well this year, but I don't think that that's on the, uh, on the schedule anymore. And then I'm going after Roosevelt elk this year as well. And then after that I have, woodland caribou uh polar bear and then one more that's slipping me right now i I always blank when i'm on camera Uh, (laughs) one more that's fortunately no one can see you so no pressure yeah yeah (laughs) Uh, so yeah let me i'm I'm just gonna look at this right now um because it's gonna bother me so much (laughs) so yeah left i have what was the one i was forgetting it was yukon moose um, so yeah, the, of the, of the animals that I've harvested and then the ones I have left are grizzly bear, sick black tail deer, barren ground caribou, uh, Roosevelt elk, polar bear, woodland caribou, and Yukon moose. There you go. So you've, you've already taken a Thule elk then. 
I have. Yes, sir. That's that's the one I wanted to ask about because um, yep. being a Californian, they're you know they're special to me. I take you know we all take a little bit of pride in uh, in being the only ones with that that elk species. How long uh, how long of putting in before you guys got that? Or so where I where I hunted Tule elk at it was uh, right near Paso Robles if you know where that is, mm-hmm. um, California, and so. Uh, I was blessed to get a landowner permit for Tule Elk, so nice. I didn't have to draw. Uh, I was I, we were blessed to get a landowner permit that they allot this. So each landowner they allot a certain amount of permits every year, and we were uh, blessed to get one of those. So, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's uh, one thing I've I've talked about a few times. I think I talked about it on the last podcast was. If I ever move out of California, that's going to be the one really hard thing to do is giving up my points for uh, Tule elk. So, man, no kidding. Yeah, I <laughs> I had a blast on my Tule hunt. I was uh, I was fortunate to hunt Tule elk in the rut, which a lot of people um, I don't feel like have gotten to experience with Tule elk because they either hunt them too early or too late in the season to do that. And I hunted my Tule right in the heat of the rut. So I called this, I, or I didn't. My guide um, Chad Weeby called this bull right into 15 yards of us big old six by six bull just screaming right in our faces the best like elk hunting experience you could ask for and it was with a tule elk during that week we called in probably three or four bulls um right into bow range just screaming their heads off at us um and then that one the one the mature bull that i harvested it was it was a great hunt and beautiful country and uh you can't beat the animal of the tule elk they're beautiful wow that's incredible so i know uh I know with a lot of species it's required, um, but and a lot of species and locations. But do you typically go out with family, a guide, uh, outfitters, uh, solo? What's the so yeah? Um, as as just your bare bones for most trips to Canada, you have to uh, you have to hire an outfitter, and they. Uh, I like to I like to think of an outfitter as a booking agent, kind of. Um, for like, it's, it's who, it's who you go on vacation through, um, to your vacation to Cancun. Like it's, it's that kind of deal, but for hunters and in these extreme, um, extreme wild destinations. And so the outfitters take care of everything like, um, permits, accommodations, they have the rights to these certain areas and they take care of, they take care of most of the logistics of the hunt, except for, uh, actually going out and hunting. And so you get to, you get to kind of not really worry about every little detail and then you get out there and once you're there, you get to hunt. And so that's, that's the way that most of it works out. Um, my mom and my sister have gone on a couple of hunts with us, but we're often in such remote locations that it's, there is absolutely nothing for them to do. We would just be (laughs) ditching them back at camp, back at tent camp with grizzlies and, um, everything else. And so. Uh, it's, it's not the most attractive place for them. And so we choose to, uh, have our mom and sissy time at home. And then we, uh, we go out and and hunt just me and dad usually. Okay. So with all these hunts, um, there has to be one or two that, that really stick out, whether they're just your hands down favorite or maybe one that you learned something from or, or you really just enjoyed or an animal you're fascinated with. What would, what would some of those be? So, uh, I always tell people that the whitetail deer is probably the most, the most skittish and wiry. And then coos deer would be taking the next step because it's a subspecies of the whitetail. They're the most wiry, skittish, wary animals that you're ever going to find. And so when I think of 
the fact that I went on three hunts for a desert bighorn sheep. That's that's what I think of when you ask that question. And so what I'm getting at is a desert bighorn sheep is basically like putting a white-tailed deer in sheep country, which is the steepest, <laughs> nastiest country <laughs> that you could even imagine. And so these animals, they're hunted unlike the whitetail in many cases, they actually have a reason to be afraid because they're hunted all day long, um, all year long by mountain lions. And so they have to be wary enough and spooky enough to evade the most ultimate predator in North America all the time. And so desert bighorn sheep, such a challenging species that I have so much respect for. And I ended up going on three different trips uh, to get a desert bighorn sheep um, the first year, the first trip, I actually got an arrow in a ram and ended up making a marginal shot on him. And then towards the end of the hunt, when we finally tracked him down after five days of looking, um, in, in this little canyon where he'd been hiding out, we had to finish that bull or, or not that bull, that ram off, uh, with a rifle. And so that was, um, a, an amazing opportunity to harvest, uh, a most prestigious animal, but my heart just sank knowing that I had an arrow in that animal and wasn't able to harvest it with a bow. Yeah. And I would go on to have another unsuccessful trip where I didn't even get a shot off after that. And then after that, we finally went to Carmen Island in Mexico, hunted hard for another four days. And then I got a beautiful opportunity at 40 yards and nice. um, was able to close on a 10-year-old Rams. So it was just, it was, and and it's like with any animal that I've had trouble with, there's this crazy buildup. It's like you're climbing this mountain, you're climbing this mountain, and then all of a sudden you get up to this little pointed ridge and you're there and it's over just like that. And so that's how that's how my desert bighorn sheep saga, my mountain goat saga all worked out. It felt like I was climbing and chasing after this goal. And then when it was over, it was like, man, it was just bittersweet because, you know, now it's over, <laughs> but it, it's just this weight lifted off my shoulders. So yeah, those are those are some that I think of, and uh, I have I I probably don't even fully appreciate the lessons that I learned chasing desert sheep and mountain goats because <laughs> I had such a rough time. No, I can you know I can imagine, and that's something that's just a good reminder for everyone listening is you know you won't it doesn't matter what the hunt is how much effort you put in you won't always be successful whether that's yeah. you know sometimes you'll blow a stock. Other times it's just, there are no animals anywhere near you, or at least not enough for you to find one, you know? And it's just, you know, you didn't have a chance to begin with, uh, in yeah. a situation like that. So you have to, you have to take it in stride. And, um, what, uh, I guess, what advice would you give for someone that's, that's feeling really discouraged about their, maybe they just had a bad last season or they haven't harvested something in a while. Um, what uh, what would you tell someone that's kind of in that in that lousy spot? Mm. Um, so just kind of adding to what you said a second ago, as you know, uh, just as somebody who's lived more life than I have, that you have to be able to take punches that you didn't deserve necessarily, if you know what I mean by that. And you have to be able to you have to t take things that come to you that you nece didn't necessarily ever see coming. And so that was one of the coolest things that somebody's ever told me is man, as, as you start to mature and become a man, you have to learn how to, um, or just, or just a grown, grown adult. You have to learn how to take things that are coming at you that you never deserved. You never saw coming. Um, but you have to take those in stride. 
And so I think of that as like the hunt that you put absolutely everything into and don't see the reward that you were looking for um, necessarily. But you always get rewards that you may never even be able to fully realize. And that's what that's what I would say to people who are having a rough time, maybe um, getting their first animal down with their bow. Um, maybe they lost an an- maybe they chased an animal for a long time and it was this big, awesome, beautiful animal. Um, say a giant whitetail buck that they've been tra- chasing for two or three years. They get an arrow in him, wound him, and never see him again. Honestly, that stuff just happens. And if you if you sit back and you pout about the fact that you lost the animal, you'll never fully realize and you still may never fully realize exactly what you learned and the lessons that you pulled away um, from that. I know that every failure that I've ever had hunting and the lowest of absolute lows, um, some of some of the lowest lows in my life have been coming off of unsuccessful hunts that I know I let my team down and I didn't perform fully. Um, but I, I, I just have to remind myself the lessons that I've learned and how that's making me a better hunter and not only a better hunter, but a better person because, um, I'm learning, I'm adapting and I'm learning how to accept failure that I don't necessarily feel like I deserved because I put in so much work, but that's hunting and that's life, frankly. No, that's awesome. Um, and it's, you know, once again, a good reminder just for hunting and life in general, uh, for the, for those of us that have had uh, rather heartbreaking, unsuccessful hunts, or those of us that are, you know, going through just lousy stuff in life, um, it's easy to get caught in the whole spiral of oh, what did I do to deserve this? And well, you pr- you may not have done anything at all. Um, mm. It's just exactly how right. life works, and sometimes you got to deal with it and learn That's to right. take it in stride. So That's right. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. So how have things changed since you first started looking into doing this super slam? I mean, from, from pretty much, uh, day one when you're like, okay, you had all these expectations. You're like, this is the, what I want to do to now you're, you know, six years later, right? Um, 22 animals in, Yep. how has, how has reality differed from the expectations when you started this man um what i think of when i think of times changing and just how how times have changed since i started this journey um i i just think about how hunting hunting itself has changed uh for me and the way that i look look at hunting um when i started out like i said i was never really involved in sports and i was never really i never really honestly had anything to put my self-esteem and self-confidence in and so that when I started the super slam journey and when I started hunting, that was a way for me to build confidence in myself and start learning lessons that I needed to learn that other people may be able to pull from things like sports, things like social activities. Um, but I didn't really have much of that. I was never really a popular kid. I didn't play many sports. And so that's what hunting was for me. 
Um, these days, that's done a complete 180, I would say. I um, I now compete in track and field and love that. Um, I have the best friends I could ever ask for and like um, friends that really push me and, and people that I love surrounding me in my life. I'm very blessed um, with that. So hunting has changed in the in the sense that hunting used to be like like my thing and what I put my and and one of the things uh, like it or not that I put my self esteem and self confidence in. Um, but now hunting is morphed into more of a, a a simple passion, just something that something that I love to go out and do. No matter how much I'll get caught up in in life and other stuff, hunting is always something that I'll come back to. Uh, to get back to my roots and to get back to just something that I feel like um, I've been blessed to have a to have a gift in, and I just I I just love hunting as just for what it is, and just for being out in nature, learning more about animals, um, and being able to pursue something. And so that's that's the way that hunting has changed for me. Now the goal of the Super Slam itself, um, again, I just I never could have imagined the magnitude of something like the Super Slam before I started it. And I've realized how just how blessed I was in those first few years. The momentum that I gained with the first couple of animals um, was just uh, nothing short of a miracle and a blessing from God. Um, and so, coming looking back, I realized how much how how blessed I was to get that momentum right there early on with the with some fairly tough animals and uh, just how I've how I've been able to harvest some animals that have been have been really tough and so it's it's cool for me to it's cool for me to look back and realize even if I didn't realize it quite fully when I was younger and I still probably don't realize the magnitude of it fully maybe one of these days when I'm way older I'll be able to look (laughs) back and say man that was that was really um a crazy goal that I set for myself but when you're when you're putting in for your 15th year for another uh another sheep tag and you're sitting there going man I went on a lot of sheep hunts already. <laughs> well, that's exactly right. And, I, and honestly, I can't wait for that day to come because um, one of these days I'll look back and I'm already starting to appreciate more and more the time that I got to spend with my dad doing this stuff and uh, just what it's done for me as a person. And I don't think that I don't think that I ever and it's and it's a personal thing again. Um, me personally, I don't think that I ever could have learned the life lessons that I needed to. Um, without having set this goal and worked to accomplish this goal. I think it's done so many things for me as a person, and I think it's given me a, a confidence in myself that I never would have had um, otherwise. And, I, and I'm forever thankful um, to my dad for putting me in a position and uh, making, making time and financial sacrifices for me to be able to do something like this. I'll forever be thankful, and um, I'm glad I'm finally starting to, to realize um, more and more how much of a blessing that is um, to me as a person and just that I was able to do that. So now, I mean, you, you kind of stated at the beginning, like this started with your dad and your dad, you and your dad were, have always been really close, but have you seen over this past six years, have you seen that strengthening and, and how have you seen your relationship with your dad change throughout all of this? Mm. So I, uh, another another kind of mentor figure in my life recently gave me this diagram that kind of that kind of traced out what a dad is or a parent is in different points in your life. So when you're younger, a parent's almost like a cop where they have to uh, they're, they're enforcing rules and they're always watching you and they're always they're always paying attention to what you're doing. And then as you start to get older, 
a parent is more like a coach. You know, they're 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 right there with you still, but they aren't making every decision for you. And then as you continue to get older, just that parent figure changes. And so um, it's been cool to see how on the super slam journey, I've been able to see my dad take that transition um, in stride and and really put more and more trust into me and in the decisions that uh, I make. And they're and they're big decisions. I, I feel a lot of I, I always say it was kind of blissful when, when we first started this journey, because, again, I didn't. I didn't really quite fully realize the difficulty of the animals we were hunting. And so, although I was working hard, I wasn't real fully realizing how lucky I, how blessed I was to have some of the opportunities that I was. Um, so now these days it's a lot more pressure behind pulling the, pulling the trigger on that release, uh, on my bow every time I take a shot on an animal, um, because I'm starting to realize, man, this is a cool opportunity that a lot of people would really, really love to have. And so, it's it's cool for me to see how my dad has has trust has put more and more trust into me um, to make decisions that affect him as well. But he's he's knowing that um, that's how I'm gonna have to make decisions one day in life. And I'm I know that he probably always had it in mind, but I never really had in mind the life lessons that I was learning and the life lessons that he was teaching me on every one of these hunts, just really subtly in a in a way that I'm realizing more and more as I get older, oh, you know, dad was telling me that for a reason. Oh, dad's giving me more trust, giving me more trust and putting more trust in me now for a reason. He, these are all life lessons that he's instilling in me. And so that's, that's the way that things have, have changed a little bit and, um, but have been, have been beautiful in my relationship with my dad over the super slim journey. That's, it's an awesome thing. You know, a lot of people talk about how, hunting can bring people closer together and you know they talk about growing up with their parents doing it and you know taking their kids whatever that is but it really just does reinforce how valuable you know whatever you want to call it a a pastime a sport a hobby uh, you know a passion how valuable this is to creating those relationships and it is a lot of the time it's it's father and son relationships but mm. There's so many others, you know, I, I just talked about uh, on the last podcast, I talked about, you know, it can very much strengthen a husband and wife relationship or yeah. friends or brothers or whatever that is. There's so many, so many ways to connect with people because, you know, it's, it's really putting you through the fire. I mean, you know, talking about a, a high stress, high adrenaline situation, then mixed in with these long periods of frustration and yeah. low action is yeah. just i mean it's a recipe for two people to just oh, yeah. clash like nothing just else forges them together yeah oh, and there's yeah. and there's something to be said for putting two people on common ground um i mean there's nothing like hunting when it comes to two people or not even two, two people necessarily, but just a person pursuing something, um, with maybe a bunch of his buddies or something there because no two hunting situations or situations out in the woods can be perfectly compared because everything is different. There's always different variables that go into it. No situation is controlled. And so, um, it, it's different for everybody and everybody can set their own goals and, uh, their own benchmarks that they want to reach. And 
just because my buddy shot a buck today and I didn't shoot a buck today does not mean that he's a better hunter. It doesn't mean that he did something better. Um, and neither of us are going to treat it that way. We're just going to say, Hey man, good job. You got really blessed today in the woods and, and that's how, and that's how it goes. And, uh, there's nothing quite like hunting in that way of just, man, it, you get to define what success is to you and it gets to be different for every person because no two situations are the same and you can learn something new every day when you go out there. That's what you just said right there is so key. And I love touching on that in this podcast. I've touched on it a bunch of times, defining your idea of success. It is mm. so important. Um, because for me, you know, someone that's been on a, you know, I could count the amount of real hunts I've been on, you know, probably on one hand. Mm. And honestly, for me to go out and for me to define success by the same thing that you would define success or someone like Steve Ranella or, you know, these people that that we tend to idolize and mm. we see on on these hunting shows or we listen to their podcasts or follow them on Instagram. Um, it is so detrimental to define our success by, I should say what outwardly appears to be success coming from those people, because yeah. most of those guys I, I know, you know, they define success just by having an awesome hunt. They probably have the, the right. simplest definitions of success ever, but, mm. uh, you know, for me to go out and say, like, I need to kill, you know, a 300, a 300 class bull uh, my first trip out or else, you know, I failed. That's not a reasonable thought. Like mm. me going out, though, and saying, you know what, I want to I want to hear a bull bugle. I want to see my first elk. Yep. And I want to get to within 100 yards of it. That's mm. not an easy goal by any stretch, as I learned last year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like, even just seeing them. It's like yeah. people spend the entire year trying to just see them so they can then go chase them. Yeah. But uh, I think that's really important, and I, I just love to reiterate that for people as much as possible, is set goals. I mean, obviously, you know, we all want to go take that giant bowl and, you know, bring it home, whatever that is, but you know, keep in mind, you know, don't let that be your determination of whether or not you're, you're in love with hunting or you or whatever, whatever that is, you know, don't let that determine yeah. your love of hunting. Um, yeah, that's so good. That's so good. <laughs> so, uh, on your way to 29, you've reached a couple other milestones, haven't you? Um, I mean, there's, I, I know they're all, uh, divided up but uh how old were you when you did uh i guess you've done the super 10 right yes sir um wow you just made me feel really old right there <laughs> um, sorry i didn't mean to oh, whatever dude whatever <laughs> i'm still your age in my mind but hey that's right the constant mris and surgeries uh, say otherwise but that's a whole different story hey <laughs> <laughs> um so how old, uh, what's the super 10 and how old were you when you, uh, reached that? So yeah, the super 10, uh, as I said, there's, there's 10 categories that make up the super slam goal. And so the super 10 has to do with taking one out of each of those 10 categories, one animal, at least out of, um, each of those 10 categories that make up the super slam. And so I was, 
the the final animal that I had left for my Super 10 was the mountain goat. And that was um, another animal where I went on four trips to get it done. And uh, just just a crazy, crazy saga, crazy pursuit for that animal. And I finally got my Super 10 done. I believe I was I believe I was 13 years old when I got my Super 10 done. And then when I got my Grand Slam, another goal within the goal is the Grand Slam. And I believe that um, the Super, obviously the Super Slam is harder than the than the, just the Grand Slam because it's a lot more animals and there's a lot more involved. But the if you could pick any four animals in uh, the the Super Slam goal of 29, the Grand Slam picks those out and it takes them. And it says, man, you're going to go after these four sheep that live in the most wild country you could even imagine and are going to stretch you to your absolute mental limit. And uh, like I said, I went I went for three trips for desert bighorn, three trips for Rocky Mountain bighorn sheep, and then I went for uh, one trip each for stone and doll sheep. I was very, very blessed. It's usually flip-flop the other way around. <laughs> uh, but I, I just I, I had a really tough time with certain sheep and – um, I was blessed to harvest the Grand Slam with my bow at age 14 and be the youngest one to ever do that. And I finished that up in on Carmen Island in Mexico. Very emotional moment. Um, my my dad and I both had tears streaming down our face as we were walking up to this beautiful animal, um, just in reverence and and gratefulness for what had happened. That's absolutely incredible. That's I mean, I got to tell my nephews to start picking it up. They're they're behind. <laughs> hey man there there that's the i mean that's the other thing about hunting my dad he was in my dad was in college when he uh first got into hunting my dad was raised in kind of an outdoorsy family he grew up on a dairy farm in indiana uh but he didn't do any hunting and so he he fished growing up and stuff but he didn't do any hunting and so he went to school in abling texas and they uh his buddies got him into dove hunting and then after they got him into dove hunting, they got him into deer hunting, and then all of them bow hunted because it extended your season. And so he got into bow hunting, and like I said, that's what I grew up watching him do. And um, just a couple of buddies taking the initiative to take one more buddy out in the field with them, that changed my dad's life, and then it changed my life farther down the line. So that just is, I, I've honestly never even thought of it that way before, but um, I just thought of that, how that changed that changed my life. Those, those guys just including my dad and taking them out, taking him out in the field with them can change somebody's life and change and change that, that person's son's life and their daughter's life. It's, it's just really cool. So that's, that's always something that I try to be um, conscious of. And I've been blessed to be able to put a bunch of my buddies on deer of their own. And uh, my buddy Hayden, who just came and dropped me off here, I put him on uh, two deer so far and, uh, it's a bunch of other critters. He killed a hog with his bow with me as well. And, uh, he, he's just ate up with it now. He, he grew up in a family that does some hunting. Um, but we've been able to, uh, take the land that we've been blessed with and bless other people with it and, um, and, and get them into hunting as well and see how it manifests in their life and see how they can start setting these goals of their own. You know, that's a, it's a powerful point. And I know it's something, uh, Brad over at Go Wild, he talks about, a lot and that's actually the requirement to enter his uh the giveaway that he was i think is finishing up pretty soon but uh it's just the idea of take someone hunting you know take Mm. them fishing whatever it is you know they may hate it 
or they may fall in love with it, or they may feel indifferent, but then look back 10 years later and be like, you know, what? that was a lot of fun. I wouldn't mind doing that again. You never know what'll happen. And I mean, um, you know, if nothing else, even if they hate it, at least you're spending time with a friend. No uh, joke. No joke. And, and honestly, what I found is, um, you, you really can't find many young people, especially young boys that you take out in the wild, at least in my experience, that won't like it to some extent. Now that may that may not mean, and this goes back to the different goals that you set out in the wild and you set for hunting. But that may not mean that they want to go out and kill a deer their first time they're out, or um, necessarily participate in the harvesting of something. But I haven't had any experience taking anybody out where they didn't like it to some extent or want to do it again. And so it's just. Um, and, and you have to do it the right way too. You have to be careful about what you like it or not. You have to be careful about what you show people and what you let people in on, on their first few times going out. It has to be, it has to be kind of a controlled, um, controlled experience those first few times because you don't want anybody to get the wrong idea. Um, but man, if you let people appreciate the beauty of nature and take them out and experience how, how these cool looking animals are just roaming around these woods and you can, go out there and try to get close to them and outsmart them. I mean, there's not many people that don't like that. I mean, it's just, it's something that it has something for everybody hunting does. And it's, and it's a, uh, it's a one size fits all type of sport. Yeah. It's funny. You know, context is so important when you're introducing someone to something where, yeah, yeah like, like you were saying, you, you can't just drop them in the hardcore stuff right off. It's not, yeah not fair to them because they don't have the history or the knowledge or the context to realize what's going on. Exactly. You know, but if you're, like you said, if you're able to start with those smaller steps or, or even maybe just take someone on a scouting trip, Mm. you know, it's a glorified camping trip where you're, you've got a little bit of a purpose, you know? Yeah. Um, Okay. Take them out for a day, a weekend, whatever that is. Let them, let them see the animals, interact with them, you know, maybe, yeah. you know, as long as you're not har- really harassing the wildlife, see, you know, put a stock on them, take some photos, no joke, let them get that no experience. Joke. And, uh, but I think, you know, yeah, you drop someone, <laughs> you pull someone into the blind and unleash hell on a, on a whitetail buck or something and then be like, here you go, let's cut it up. Like they might be kind of yeah. a little bit overwhelmed in them, you know, that first right, day. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's yeah. I think, I think like you said, I think a a scouting trip out in the woods is the perfect way to get started. And, um, I, some of the cool stories I've heard about people getting into hunting is not necessarily having somebody take them out hunting, but them going out in the woods, learning about the animals and then becoming hunters. And that's, that's, that's a cool, uh, powerful take on the whole becoming a hunter and, um, how I became a hunter thing is just, man, there are certain people who just have gone out and started to get to know the animals, started to get to know the country and the nature and challenging themselves in the smallest of ways at first and then just building up to a point where they're like, man, I would like to try to pursue one of these animals and respectfully harvest one uh, to feed my family. And um, those are some of the coolest stories that I've heard. So I say that to say, man, a scouting trip or just time spent out in the wild with wildlife, man, that's a great way, great way to start. And uh, you can't beat that time. No, that's awesome. Getting back to maybe some of the 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 differences. Um, when you first started this, what would you have said was your your biggest 
your biggest weaknesses as a hunter uh, mm. back when you first started this this concept of the super slam? Uh, so I could sum it up all into one word: uh, the word patience. I uh, it's I grew up. Some pe- people who have seen my show know this kind of. I grew up going to school. And I had a learning disability that caused me not to be able to focus well in school. And so I, I was always a real giddy kid. I was always real jittery, always wanting to be outside, always wanting to be doing something. Um, if there was something around to tap or fidget with, I'd be doing it right then. And, uh, man, that, that pencil couldn't be sharpened enough in the classroom. I know that. <laughs> and uh, so I say that to say that's just my personality as somebody who wants to be doing something all the time, wants to be constantly stimulated. And that's why I have to be careful with stuff like, um, having Instagram on my phone. I deleted Instagram off my phone like a month ago and it's been good. I, I, I go on, I go on other devices to get my posts done and stuff like that. But man, I just, I, I, luckily I realize it and I know how to control it now. Um, but patience was very hard for me. Um, very hard for me to learn especially when it came to stalks and situations man we would see an animal and it's a beautiful animal and i just want to go after it it doesn't matter if it's in a good position necessarily or not but i just want to try it i say man let's get boots on the ground and let's just see if we can get close to this animal um but patience is key in the wild a lot of times and um the more you let animals get comfortable and get to know their patterns it's almost like i think of like uh, two UFC fighters like study and film of each other before a fight, man. You you take time to watch that film and you take time to learn their weaknesses, man. It's the same way with animals. You're on that scouting trip or you're um, out there on the first day of the hunt, man. Some of the best, even when you're bow hunting and you think, man, the way I'm gonna kill something or or harvest my animal is just to get as many socks in as I can. And while that's true to an extent, uh, you don't want to be overly aggressive. And sometimes the best thing in your toolbox when you're out hunting is going to be using most of that first day getting to know the animals and learning their patterns at that time of year and in that specific area and so I would say just uh, something that's changed so much and one of my weaknesses early on was just having no patience and uh, wanting to rush into everything but um, now I've changed a lot in that I've, I've been able to realize Unfortunately, by learning the hard way that patience is key and you don't want to rush into anything, especially with the situation of wounding animals. That's something that people don't really think about a lot is, man, the way to follow up on a wounded animal is patience, patience, patience. People want to go back in. They want to get another arrow in them. And while that is an option, it's not the best option whatsoever. My dad uh, ended up shooting... A, a buck this fall which he hasn't done in a couple of years it was super awesome i was in the stand with him uh got to film him taking the shot really cool experience um but he didn't make a good shot on it he hit that he hit that buck um and he made a he made a gut shot on it and so we've done this many times on deer unfortunately just if you're hunting that's something that's going to happen um but it's all about how you handle it afterwards uh he shot that buck we backed out. We watched him walk over into some thick woods, and we backed out for 24 hours. A lot of people say 12 hours, go in there, get it done. Um, we backed out for 24 hours. The buck was laying 50 yards from where we last seen him, um, dead in his bed. So there's something to be said for patience in all situations of hunting. Um, you don't want to be underly aggressive, but you also don't want to be overly aggressive. And you're just, depending on your personality, you have to find that balance. 
and figure that out for yourself. I know for me, it looks like always putting the brakes on myself because naturally I'm going to have plenty of aggression when it comes to wanting to do stocks and wanting to rush into things. So to me, it looks like putting the brakes on, always checking myself and making sure that I'm not rushing into something out of just sheer optimism and wanting to get it done. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's awesome, man. So would you say that's still your biggest weakness or? I, I would say it is still one of my biggest. Uh, I would say my biggest weakness now and this is just me being completely honest, is overthinking things. The way that I've learned to control my mind is I literally, when I'm, I tell everybody this and it sounds weird, but the way that I've learned to do pretty well under pressure when it comes to stalking situations and about to go up on a shot on an animal is I literally just shut my mind off to an extent. I, I just kind of operate under pure adrenaline and pure instinct because I practiced this so many times. I've been in this situation so many times. I just kind of shut my mind off and just kind of let, let my instincts do the work and just kind of, um, just kind of trust that trust, trust in the process and trust that I can get it done with the tools that I have. And so sometimes, unfortunately the pressure of the hunt or the pressure of the shot or everything riding up to it, or something that the animal is doing overrides me being able to shut my mind off and just operate in the way that I know I can. Um, so I would say that that these days, that's my biggest weakness is just, um, when I allow my, my racing thoughts and the pressure of the situation to override me being able to turn that part of my mind off that has the pressure. No, that's great. Um, it's definitely something that I, uh, that I often have an issue with as well is is overthinking things and then you end up stressing yourself out and you're thinking about that instead of thinking about the you know the shot mechanics that you're about to make and yeah um, it's very very easy to to way overthink things but so what would you say then uh, now uh, what would you say is your biggest strength as a hunter something you feel the most confident in? Mm. I would say, I would say the mo the thing I feel most confident in is my knowledge of um of animal behavior. And uh, I was a lot of people don't know this about me, but I grew up on kind of a mini deer farm. And so our our farm when I was growing up was fenced off for deer, and we had uh, about we had a we had a a pretty a pretty small farm that we had fenced off for deer. We never ever hunted it. Um, we always hunted outside the fence um, on different properties of ours. But my dad put the fence up originally just because he loved watching deer. And so um, when when he made enough money to be able to put the fence up, he put the fence up. And um, we that's how I grew up. I, I grew up being able to watch deer right in my backyard. The the deer weren't quite as wild as as uh, wild deer but they weren't dumb either. And so every night I would go out, there would be a couple of, a couple of does and then maybe some bucks that would come stand in the backyard, um, 200 yards from my house or so. And so I would go straight out from the house. I'd have dark clothes on or my camos on and I would crawl out there with that little fiberglass bow that my dad had gotten me. And so from a very young age, I've been able to, um, study animal behavior. And I think that, uh, my biggest, strength as a hunter now is just knowing animals body language and knowing right when they're about to go i could tell you anytime an animal is about to about to run um if they're if they're feeling 
if they're feeling nervous. It's just it's something that I grew up doing. I grew up stalking deer. I grew up having knowing what they look like when they're watching me crawl right through the brush and can see me in plain sight. And so uh, that's something that I feel like has played into my strengths as a hunter is um, just knowing their body language and knowing how they react to certain things. And so that's been cool um, to see that play out with different animals and see how really all the animals in North America have the same mannerisms as far as being spooked or relaxed um, as the good old white-tailed deer right here in the U.S. (laughs) So we touched on a a lot of this stuff, I think, throughout the time we've been talking, but if you could maybe summarize a few of the things, it, really, if, if I ask you, you know, what, what do you think has contributed most to your success harvesting these 22, uh, these 22 animals so far? Um, honestly, I would say the fact that I haven't done this, um, simply because it's something that I want to do, my, my motives have, have morphed and changed over, uh, over, over the super slam journey into, man, I want to, I want to be able for that kid that was me when I was nine years old watching Tom Rand's world-class bow hunting. I want that same kid that's out there and has a similar story to mine to be sitting watching a hunting show sometimes, see me on there and be inspired, um, by what I'm doing. And so my success is pretty directly linked to the fact that I'm very driven and very motivated in what I'm doing. And that motivation comes from knowing that, man, even if it's just that one kid, there's a kid out there some somewhere who needs that motivation and who needs that thing um, besides just the mainstream path to be able to define his success, to be able to, be able to find his self-confidence. And so that's, that's what motivates me, and I think that that's played into my success so far is just the fact that I'm, I really am in it because I want – I want to see other kids be able to have the same self-confidence that I've built through simply being out in the woods with my dad. Like it's just, it's something, it's something that I can't really explain. It's something that's just really wrecked my life in an amazing way. And so that's, (laughs) it just motivates me so much knowing that there's that kid out there or those couple of kids out there who need to see this um, message and need to see that, um, man, I came from a point of really low self-esteem and not thinking that, um, I would accomplish much to now having accomplished um, 22 harvested 22 of the 29 North American big game animals um, and just by believing in myself and uh, having faith in God and just and following my dad on this crazy journey <laughs> so speaking of sharing that message tell me a little bit about the uh, show so yeah the I, I don't think I've really uh, fit the show into that box yet um, the show came along after we had started the super slam journey and the, um, the super slam, it was, it was my dad and I's dream. Once we started it, it was like, dude, this is so cool. And we both absolutely love chasing it. And so my dad filmed everything that we did and filmed all my hunts. And my dad ended up meeting through his business. He ended up meeting a guy who had done some uh, video work for him some production work for him. And he said, could you put together a reel of some of my son's hunts? I know it sounds weird. Like my son does like, is this bow hunting thing? And I would love, I would love it if you could put together like a highlight reel of some of this stuff. And so he puts together a video and we love it. And I'd always said, um, 
that I dreamed of having a hunting show. And it was just like something crazy that I said that I never thought would happen. And so it just kind of all, I'm sure my dad could tell you in a lot more detail, but it just, all the right pieces fell into place. And we ended up asking Cooper to make some episodes for us, uh, which we eventually pitched to the network and got, uh, was blessed to shake hands with the right people and uh, get in front of some amazing people um, from Outdoor Sportsman Network and it just it blew up from there. They they said that um, a youth oriented hunting show would never work, and it's something that me and my dad strongly disagreed with. And uh, we were always motivated by that kid um, who might be sitting in their living room watching a hunting show and needing to hear the message. Uh, that's awesome. So it does it. It primarily focuses around you chasing the super slam, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, Young Wild was. Young Wild was started with uh, clips of me chasing my first few Super Slam animals, and uh, ever since then, it's documented about six or five or six of the animals uh, that I've harvested on the Super Slam journey each season. It'll it'll document those and uh, and and show that. And so it's it's a very it's a very raw style of show, uh, and it's just the way that we like it. Um, I. I had a really bad mishap hunting tar in New Zealand last year, and it was it was a really rough time. I had the fledgings fall off all my arrows, Jeez. which just sounds it just which just sounds crazy and sounds like a giant rookie mistake. And um, I can say nothing, but it was a giant rookie <laughs> mistake, and uh, I I have no way to explain it. But um, we showed you have all to use that. glue on those. I'm not sure if you. I'm not sure if you knew. Yeah, but yeah, when you're yeah. putting them on the glue. It was what keeps. So them we went back to the drawing board and we figured that one out. <laughs> <laughs> so we're good now. Um, but no, it that was something that we showed in full depth on the episode, and uh, a lot of people commended us for that. And I and it's cool to see that people still appreciate that realness of style. And and I think it's I think it's how how you have to be. I don't like going to hunting camps and hearing. Um, about hunters that I know stories that they would have never told me. And so I'm always just real, really real with people. I'm like, man, if I, if I have this weakness or this thing happen, I'm going to tell you because I'm going to be the first person to tell you, I don't want you to hear it from somebody else. (laughs) And so that's, that's kind of the attitude that we brought into the show. And it's a real raw, um, very real, very, um, very well put together, uh, series that documents the super slam journey in a way that it's never been documented before, thanks to our producer, Cooper Ross, who's just gone above and beyond in producing what we humbly believe is the best in the industry. No, that's fantastic. And I, I am a huge fan of that attitude of just being very transparent and honest with your journey and with what you're learning and your weaknesses and your strengths. And it makes, I think, when you don't show those failures or weaknesses or whatever that is, I think it cheapens those victories when you do Definitely show them. Does. Yeah. Um, and so it, I think it just makes all of that a lot more powerful. Uh, you know, I try and, and that's one thing I've done with this podcast, you know, as my listeners know, is I'm not afraid to mention my mistakes. Uh, I have a whole podcast, as a matter of fact, dedicated to solely talking about all the things I did wrong on one of my trips. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> I love that. But you know, you know, my whole concept behind this was I just I wanted to document my journey into into doing this later in life. And yeah. if I wasn't honest about this stuff, then 
I wouldn't be true to what I intended with this. So it's, it's very important to me and it's nice to hear other people that have a similar perspective on things. Yeah. It's, you know, we're all, we're all people, we're all human. And if we get caught up in this whole, man, I'm trying to look cool cool for them. And I'm, I'm trying to make them think I'm this big hunter who never has any mistakes, never misses an animal, never wounds an animal, man, you're going to get found out. And it's, it, like you said, it's really is going to cheapen what you're doing. So it's best just to be honest with people. Um, the, one of the hunters that I look up to the most is Tom Hoffman. Um, a great friend of mine, very, very dear friend of mine who has accomplished stuff that he would never, ever tell you about. Um, amazing guy. He went and did this stuff when people said you were crazy for even bow hunting these animals. And so, one thing about Tom is that he is completely honest about anything that ever happened um, that went wrong. Man, he'll be the first to tell you. And but he's also not going to be the he's going to be the last person to tell you about his victories. And he's just the most humble, um, kind person that I know um, in this hunting industry. And it's just it's it's anytime I'm around him, it definitely humbles me. And uh, it's just cool to see somebody like him who has accomplished far more than I ever will. And just how how humble natured he is, and how real he is with people. He's not trying to look cool. He's not trying to get a certain number of followers on Instagram. He's not trying to get that that stage time. Man, he is trying to he's trying to hunt, and he's trying to love the outdoors and love people. And that's just so cool. Oh, that's really awesome. I uh, I am not familiar with him, so I'll have to get. Uh... Get you'll have to get you'll have to out. get him on your you'll have to get him on your podcast. I'll tell you what, that would be an amazing episode. I I would love to. From if, you know, if uh, you're telling me the truth, I would definitely love to uh, have him on the podcast. So yeah. Um. Well, as we're as we're kind of winding things down here, uh, you know, we talked about this earlier. I always like to end with if somebody came up to you, you know, who it's it's maybe brand new to hunting, or maybe they're like myself, who's from a city or a, a background not really steeped in hunting or the outdoors. Um, and they came to you, they said, you know, I, I really want to get into this. Uh, you know, I see you doing all this awesome stuff. It looks incredible, but I just, I don't even know where to begin. I'm a little intimidated. There's all this stuff to learn. What would you tell them? What advice would you give them? What inspiration? Man, again, I would just, I would say just get out in the woods and start learning. Um, man, you'll, you'll you'll get out there and you'll start seeing God's creation and seeing the way that the animals um, react, seeing the way that it all works together as one beautiful system. And it will just build this love for nature that you can't extinguish. And everything else falls into place after that. Man, you'll start meeting hunters, you'll start meeting outdoorsmen, and it, you don't have to worry about, you don't have to worry about, am I doing everything right? It's okay to traipse around the woods for three years with a bow and arrow and never fling an arrow. I mean that's that's okay. My dad did it. It's 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 a learning process and it's nothing that you can rush. Hunting is a personal thing. It's a very very personal thing and that's something that I definitely want hope that I've stressed on this podcast is in hunting, it's a one size fits all type of deal as far as it has something for everybody, but it's also different for everybody in that people can set their own goals and people can uh, go about it their own way. Um I would just encourage people to get out in the woods, um, start hunting, start meeting other hunters, start networking, and uh, just see how this how this community is going to accept you. the The hunting community is is made up of really beautiful people. There's your one off guy that's 
um, not going to be cool to you, but the majority of people are super cool in this industry and are just happy that you want to be involved um, in something and not only involved in our sport, but going from the non-hunting to anti-hunting side of things and coming over to our side and hearing what we have to say. And, and, and we're just going to be happy that you're wanting to hear that. And so, um, yeah, definitely just get out in the woods, start learning, start setting your own goals and don't be in a rush to do anything. It's okay to learn. It's okay to have failures and just, just trace around the woods a while. So if people, two things, if people wanted to watch Young Wild TV, where can they do that? And if people wanted to follow you online, where can they find you? If they wanted to watch Young Wild TV, uh, this year we just signed a contract with the Outdoor Channel once again um, to be on the Q3, Q4 time slot or or time of the year slot. And so we're going to be right back on the Outdoor Channel Sundays. I believe it's Sunday mornings at 10, uh, but you're going to have to fact check me on that one. Uh, young, it's, it's young wild. And, uh, that's, that's where you can catch the rest of my super slam journey. I imagine we'll be having some good old replays on there too. And then if you want to follow me online, it's youngwild.tv, And then my Instagram is Lincoln underscore tap. Um, so you guys can stay up to date, um, with what I'm doing, um, week to week on my hunting goals and hunting journeys. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your evening to hop on the podcast. It was really good talking with you. I think everybody's going to love this one. Sam, it's been a blast. Thanks so much for having me on, and uh, good luck getting that getting that first animal down. I want to see a picture of that. I want you to send that to me. <laughs> oh, everyone that's been on this podcast will probably get a picture of it when that happens. <laughs> oh, dude, I want to be in that big old group chat. There we go. All right, y'all, that'll do it for episode 78 of Living Country in the City. Big thank you to Lincoln for taking the time out of his day to hop on the line with me. Make sure y'all head on over to our show notes page at livingcountryinthecity.com slash 78 to check out everything we talked about in today's episode. But in the meantime, keep it country, y'all. Thank y'all for listening to Living Country in the City. Get show notes and check out the blog, product reviews, events, and more at livingcountryinthecity.com. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that. You really don't, man. That makes up for calling me sir those couple of times. <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs>